everybody to what I like to call the dead week. Yeah. The week in between Christmas and New Year where people do nothing at all. Unless you're unfortunate enough to work in retail. My humble apologies to all people who listen to this show who work in retail. Hi, Michael. Because I understand that you all have to work in between Christmas and New Year. That sucks. I think that sucks moose. Yeah. No, seriously, I think there should be a time where everything is shut. Mm. There should be a time where we get time off. We don't need to go to Asda every single day over the Christmas holiday. So I've also witnessed a Boxing Day sale as well. So Already. There's already a Boxing Day sale. Already underway. Oh. Yes, we're recording this on Boxing Day, which yeah. is the day after Christmas. It's my understanding America doesn't have Boxing Day. Don't know. No, what? I don't know. What, yeah, but what exactly is Boxing Day? Traditionally. we call Boxing Day. But traditionally, this is also a bank holiday over here. So we get Christmas Day off and we get Boxing Day off. Now, over the years, this has been corrupted by big business. Yeah. And now the Boxing Day sales happen on Boxing Day. But when I was a kid, mm-hmm. they only used to start on the 27th and people had two days off for Christmas, which is what I'm talking about. People yeah. should be allowed to have two days off. But anyway, so it's Boxing Day today. You'll be hearing this on the 27th of December. That's a quick turnaround, isn't it? It is. Um, You're listening to Hey Kids Comics, because I haven't mentioned that yet. Mm -hmm. One would think we'd, after two years of doing this, no, one would think we would be able to introduce our own show. Well, that, and if you're listening (laughs) to Hey Kids Comics, odds are you know. It may be the first time. And this is a special show for me, Andrew Leyland, and you. Michael Leyland. And you. Who is also joining us for this opening podcast. They've selected to download Hey Kids Comics. Yeah, but it's free. Maybe they've just got. Download all free comics podcasts. Okay. And they've just got a big long list of comics podcasts, and they've now landed on us, and they're like, what are these two idiots talking about? What's with the funny accents? Mm-hmm. If they're not from this country, even if they are from this country, if they, you know, if the Geordies or Scousers or Welsh Where or Irish, the funny they're probably still listening to this. Going, what's with the funny accents? <laughs> that accent can't be real. Uh, today's a very special show. One, it's our annual, and by annual I mean we've done one of these already. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at what we got for Christmas in geek-related paraphernalia. But secondly, and more importantly, I think this is our anniversary. Is it? it is two years ago, yes. this holiday season, yes. that we sat down, got off our ass, and made a podcast. Hi, Scott and Chris. Do you know that to be a fact? I don't know if this is exact Have day. Have you checked the calendars? I, I don't remember the exact day, yeah. but I know we recorded it over the Christmas break or two years ago, which will be, what, 2010? Yeah. yeah. So we Don't sniff it! <laughs> <laughs> and you're sniffing something that I will come to in a minute. <clears throat> it's nothing rude. Or drug related. <laughs> and so it's two years this week somewhere mm-hmm. that we've been doing this show. Let's pretend right, that it's okay. the 27th of December. All that right. was our anniversary. Okay. For the sake of symmetry. Let's pretend. Yes, so today is our that's, birthday. That's, that's the key to successful marriages. I forgot where our anniversary is, so yeah, let's yeah. make it today. So let's pretend. Yeah. It seems perfectly acceptable to me. So um, we're going to look at presents that we've got. We've got a couple of Christmas emails from people that we want to, to have a look at. So thank you very much to those people that emailed in. We'll, we'll start that in a minute. But first of all... Emails will be messed up. Yes, yeah. I know. Pete behind the curtain, we've already recorded the Avengers vs. X-Men episodes. Yeah. They're already done. Michael's editing them. Uh, this episode came about, because A, we wanted to do it, because they're fun. Yeah. Uh, so we've no notes. We're, we're talking out of our arse for most of that. But for most of the also, 
Yeah, no different to normal yeah. episodes, really. But also, as we've mentioned on previous episodes, Michael's had a lot of coursework to do, but he is also editing the Avengers X-Men episodes, because mm-hmm. it was his pick. So it was easier to record them so that he could edit them over Christmas when he doesn't have any coursework to do, and then put them up in January. Yeah. That makes sense to us, doesn't it? it? Does. Peek behind the curtain. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Hello! Um, before we get to emails, and before we get to prezies, which are plentiful this year, because my In wife is lovely, and I love her, and I think she's wonderful, uh, uh, because she had a tax windfall, is what it is, oh, okay. so, so she had a bit of extra money, which she spent on me, which I'm all for. Yeah. Love ya! She's in the other room, she can't hear me. Um, but first, Michael's present to us all this year. Mm-hmm. Was something that particularly... I'm going to have to just put the microphone there in a second. Uh, our American chums will get a kick out of. Yeah. When we did the We Went to Florida episodes... Mm-hmm. All two of them. All two of them. We bought American junk food. Yeah. And I'm, one of the I'm things... Sure called delicacies over there. Delicacies, <laughs> yes. Um, an American delicacy yeah. called the Twinkie. Now, over the past couple of weeks, very sadly... Mm-hmm. The economy has meant that hostess have gone out of business. Mm-hmm. No more Twinkies. No more Ding-Dongs. <gasps> no more Ho-Hos. <laughs> but you can still get Ho-Hos. Yeah. But that's a different kind of Ho-Ho. The sun will one day rise in a world where there's not a Twinkie. Yeah, no fruit pies, no nothing. Now, according to Ghostbusters... None of those Marvel adverts. None of those Marvel adverts. According to Ghostbusters, these things will outlive cockroaches. Yeah. Which is fine. But for Christmas, Michael bought us all a Twinkie. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much, Michael. So me and Anya, or Anya and I, for the grammatical, um, the grammatically inclined, are going to eat our Twinkie live on the air. Because this went down a storm last time. It was entertainment. People loved it. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why I was eating. You know what I could go for today? Listen to somebody <laughs> eat. <laughs> I don't know why listening to somebody eat yeah. on an audio podcast was riveting <laughs> podcasting, but apparently it was, so... So this is this will not have the same impact as last time, will it, Anya? No. We're audio, so shaking your head doesn't work. <laughs> Anya's already started eating because she cannot wait for the the crisp, golden taste and creamy filling of a Hostess Twinkie. God, I sound like one of those adverts now, don't I? <laughs> so here we go. Possibly the last Twinkie we will ever eat. Possibly. <gasps> I've got two left. Michael's got two left because he bought a big box. Yeah. So are you ready, Anya? Yes. Are you ready to eat your Twinkie? Yes. Imagine this Twinkie. No, that's from Ghostbusters. Mmm. <laughs> oh. oh. They are good. Oh, yeah. Aren't they? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a part of me. Cheers. You've got a bigger mouth. <laughs> there's a part of me that is grat- grateful yeah. that we don't have these in this country. Why? Because you get fat on them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, you know what I want for breakfast? A box of Twinkies. <laughs> oh, that would just be wrong. If you put them in a bowl of milk, it's all right. Counts as cereal. Because <laughs> you wouldn't have put sugar on them. So. Oh my! This is a creamy filling. I like. Mmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, these are, these are good. Mm-hmm. Thank, Thank you, you for my Christmas present, it's, Michael. It's okay. Thank you, Michael. Mmm. 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 And so. There is, excuse me, mm. possibly the last Twinkie you'll ever eat. 
I may ever eat. That's quite sad, though, isn't it? It's a sad day. Mm, it's a very sad day. Sad day, but yummy day. Oh, yeah. Very good indeed. Okie dokie. Thank you for joining us for that segment, Anya. Goodbye. Say bye to the people at home. Bye-bye. Anya's off to do whatever Anya does on the day after Christmas. I'm just going to get a drink of this. Mm. Oh, oh. That was yummy. <coughs> right. <coughs> Emails. Yes. Here's what we're doing first of all. Our first email is from the mighty Tom Panneries. Hi, Tom. Hi. Oh, Leylands, he says in his it's email. It's like he's talking to us in real time. It's good how we do that, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, his email, which is entitled Prodigal and Christmas. I don't think the two went together, but... It could have done. I want the two to go together like burgers and hamburg, bacon and eggs. Okay. What if you have them separately? You can have bacon separately. Yeah. I better throw that Twinkie wrapper out of the way. I don't know if I put my hand in it. Sticky goodness. <clears throat> I've been reading... Messed up Tom's email before we even start. (laughs) That's what post-production's for. I've been meaning to write for a couple of weeks now about your coverage of Prodigal, because I thought it was absolutely excellent, and I don't think I have any chance of topping it when I cover it for my own podcast a couple of months from now. Okay, I'm not even going to try and top it, because it was just that good. Well, whilst we never get bored of being told how excellent we are... Um, I think your coverage will be just as good, Tom, because Taking Flight, which is his Nightwing and Robin podcast, is an excellent show. And Michael and I were just talking about this before um, before we started recording. Off the air, yes. I believe professionals say. Which I like to think that we are. Right. <laughs> um, just because two shows cover the same thing, it's going to be different by the fact that the two people covering it are different people. Mm. So, I'm pretty sure... There will be a thousand happy birthday soup. Excuse me, that Twinkie's repeating on me. I'm pretty sure there will be a thousand happy birthday Superman shows over the next year. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. Because they won't be our different. shows. Yeah. They won't be us talking about those stories. Although I have put an embargo on myself yeah. listening to other people's birthday Superman shows. To do something different. Why we're doing ours mm. so that I don't inadvertently steal other people's ideas. Yeah. Except views from the long box. Yeah. Because you have to listen to Mike talk about Superman. You just have to. Mm. And then there's that dark <coughs> age where he stopped reading it. Yeah, yeah. So but he, went, so he, went, he went back and got him off. So then that show's just, um, don't have much to talk about. Uh, <laughs> I didn't read these issues. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he'll cover ones that he's not read. That would be much of a show, would it? No. No, okay. Um, now that I'm done kissing up, continues Tom's email. Oh, no, never, never done with the kissing up. I thought I'd at least share a couple of comments about those episodes, even though I'm saving most of my critique for the storyline for Taking Flight, which you can listen to at takingflight.podomatic.com. See what I did there? I used to be at marketing, if you can't tell. Very impressive, Tom, including a plug for his own show in the body of his email. I like that. Yes. Because it means I don't have to remember to do it. <laughs> Because I don't, do I? I don't remember frequently. Because, you know. Who are you? Um, just some guy. Just, ju- just some. As if it's just this guy, you know? I agree with you that Phil Jimenez's Batman leaves something to be desired. When I first saw Jimenez's artwork in some 1990s Teen Titans comics, he was immediately one of my favourite artists because of his resemblance to George Perez. I know that is a constant criticism of his artwork, but at the time every artist DC or Marvel were hiring were knocking off Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane or Todd Liffield. Someone aping George... Todd Tob Liffield. It's Rob Liffield's older brother (laughs) who doesn't go on Twitter and make an ass of himself. Fair enough. 
Somewhat aping George Perez's style, continues Tom, was a welcome breath of fresh air. But his Batman was always too ornate, especially where the cape was concerned. Those horns on the shoulders were especially silly. But he did draw a great Robin, and I will say that in the nearly 20 years since he first came on the scene, Jimenez has definitely improved. Look at the artwork in the Prodigal books, compared to Infinite Crisis, or anything even more recent, and you'll see that he's not as stiff as he used to be. We like Phil Jimenez, don't we? We do. We liked him a great deal. Not sure about his new stuff. Are you not? No. Why not? Well, he did, he did one short story for the Ghost Vertigo shorts, one-off. Mm-hmm. And his story in that, it's... Did he write it? No, he just did the artwork. It, it, it's gone for the more... You know those artists where you look at the finished art and it looks very photoshopped with all the different mm. colours and tones, and then you look at the actual art and it's just lines and the colorist has done all the work? Yes. All-Star Superman springs immediately to mind. Well, yeah, it's like that. Right. Oh, okay, fair enough. I will read that ghost thing, maybe for Halloween next year. Mm. We'll, we'll Some of it's good. Vertigo Some of it's not so good. Well, that gives us a lot to talk about, doesn't it? Yeah. Right, okay. Uh, you briefly mentioned Batman Year 2, continued Thomas, not being as memorable as Batman Year 1, and you're right, it's not. Despite art from both Alan Davis and Todd McFarlane, and a pretty solid story by Mike W. Barr, Year 2 was kind of forgotten in the wake of the game-changing origin story that was Year 1. In fact, it was so forgotten, even by the mid-1990s, that it was retconned right after Zero Hour, because Year 2 features Batman teaming up with Joe Chill to fight Gotham's former vigilante, the Reaper, an element of the storyline that really wasn't that necessary. In fact, I always felt that it was sort of shoehorned in to what is otherwise a pretty decent story storyline, even though it does look a little dated 25 years later. It was also, was it not, the inspiration for Mask of the Phantasm? Batman Year 2? There's elements of Year 2 in Mask of the Phantasm, I think. Yeah. Hmm. I've not read Year 2 for a while, because as we mentioned, my problem with Year 2 is the artwork change is just so jarring. Alan Davis and Todd McFarlane, if if they'd got like... What was his name? Alan Davis, Paul Neary... Yeah, if they'd got Paul Neary on his own, or Mark Farmer... Yeah. Or Brian Hitch. Mm. Somebody like that. I don't think Hitch was drawing comics back then, but you know what I mean. Somebody whose style was similar, it probably wouldn't have mattered. But to go from McFarlane to Davis or the other way around was like, whack! And you're like, what? So I've never read Year 2 as much as I've read Year 1. Plus Year 1 was was quickly published in a nice handy-dandy hardcover, which I have on the bookshelf. Mm -hmm. I think Year 2 was as well, but I don't think I ever bought it. Year 1, which is now being republished, but we're not allowed to buy it. Why not? Well, oh yeah, David Mazzuccarelli hates that new published version, doesn't he? Yeah. I can understand why. The paper stock in my hardcover, which is the first hardcover of year one that ever came out, is lovely. Yeah. And his artwork looks really good on it. And then it, in the new one, it's all that shiny crap. And he's, he's got a problem with the colouring as well, hasn't he? Because he originally coloured it, didn't he? Or did yeah. somebody else colour it? I, I don't know. I don't remember. I know he has a problem with it, because he posted on Twitter or Facebook or something, didn't he? That it looks yeah. awful, don't buy it. Which I'm sure hurt the bottom line in nowhere whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Now, on to your Christmas special, which was only last week. It was. Wow, we're turning this one around quickly, aren't we? Whilst listening, I wound up pulling out my copy of the Clerks Holiday Special and reading it along with the podcast. And I have to say, I had honestly forgotten how funny that boot was. I remember buying it when it came out and read it at least a few times, but I have to say, I've honestly soured on Kevin Smith in the past few years. I can't tell if I've gotten more mature, which isn't likely, or he's gotten less mature. He's gotten less mature, Tom, because I am completely 100% in agreement with you in what you say here. Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Aver and Dogma. Chasing Amy, sorry, and Dogma, even though they have the first year of juvenile humour, are pretty well written and fun, but I still find myself able to rewatch them to this day, even if I still only have the latter two films on VHS. That was a video. I, I, yeah. I, I have videos. 
But most of the clerks-related comic books haven't stood the test of time. The Bluntman and Cromit book was more stupid than it was silly, and the Chasing Dogma series, which was supposed to be the story of what happened to Jane Silent Bob between Chasing Amy and Dogma, is quite groan-worthy at times. But the original Clerks comic book and the holiday special hold up very well. I think that's because Dante and Randall are not one-note jokey characters, and Jim Marfood is really able to get Smith's quick-witted and often lengthy dialogue across with quite a bit of skill. It's a very fun book and makes me long for the days when I look forward to each of his movies. Couldn't agree more. Mm. Um, I always think with Kevin Smith, he swerves far too much. Now, I and love... Unnecessarily. And unnecessarily. I love a bit of Anglo-Saxon, yeah. as you well know. <laughs> I think the swearing in Spartacus should be nominated for an Academy Award. Yes. Best swearing <laughs> in a television show. Spartacus would win hands down, because yeah. some of that is... Just and then once Spartacus goes off the who's the award going to then? I don't, we'll get rid of it then. Yeah. But he's like Michael just said, yeah, he swears unnecessarily. Yeah. He swears in that way that people you know when people got like and then I was like and I was like and they say like while they're trying to think what to say next. So rather than say like he swears. Yeah, he swears. Yeah. And secondly, his podcasts are very good. Fabian and Batman is great. Mm-hmm. Is it great because of him or the guests? Yes, because of the guest. And there are times when you're thinking, Kevin, shut up. Paul Dini's talking. <laughs> Paul Dini's telling me something interesting about the production of the Batman animated series, and you're making some obscene, horrible sexual innuendo joke. Shut up! Uh, but, having yeah. said all that, Red State was a pretty damn good film. Mm. Yeah, it didn't seem like a Kevin Smith movie. Yeah. So it's worth watching for Has that alone. change the direction Yes. Now? It's completely... You would not watch that and think it was a Kevin Smith movie. Mm. None of his loyal coterie of actors are in it, with the exception of his missus. His missus mm. shows up. But even then, you wouldn't recognise her. Yeah. And for the first half, it's some of the best stuff he's ever done. And then halfway through, it's like he watched Reservoir Dogs, and then went, let's turn this into a Tarantino movie, and it goes downhill there. Fair enough. But it's, it's heartily recommended to mm. prove that he still can do stuff that isn't just Kevin Smith. Anyway... Tom's email continues, Regis and Kathy Lee and Joy are Regis Philbin and Kathy Lee Gifford, who at the time this was written were the hosts of a very popular nationally syndicated morning talk show that is still on today. Although Kathy Lee left the show in the late 1990s, early 2000s, was replaced by actress Kelly Ripper, and then Regis retired a few years ago and was eventually replaced by former New York Giants linebacker Michael Strahan. The show is taped live every day and is in most markets at around 10am, so the fact that an old priest would be a big fan and would actually go so far as to get tickets for the show would be a very accurate considering he's right in the show's target audience. But yes, it's a very dated pop culture reference. That explains a lot. Do you know what it sounds like? It sounds like This Morning, doesn't it? Yeah. We have a show over here called This Morning, which used to be hosted by Richard Maidley and Judy Finnegan, who were husband and wife team. Hmm. And it just sounds like the same show, doesn't it? Hmm. They talk about women issues. (laughs) I don't watch it. Like grease in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And cleaning those pots and pans after making dinner. Oh, that's a bit sexist. Thank you again for another great episode. You're very welcome, Tom. Thank you for listening. I hope that you and your family had a very Merry Christmas and wish you all the best for 2013. Best wishes, Tom. Right back at you, buddy. Thank you very much for emailing in. Mm-hmm. We had a great Christmas thus far. We did. Uh, our next email is from Kenneth Laster. Big email of disagreement and controversy. Hey, Lay 1 and Lay 2 and other Leylands who may be around. Oh, well, there's nobody else now. No. But we'll pass that on to Anya. It's been a while to so old references. Seriously, Michael, Eric Banner over Mark Ruffalo? I thought we could be friends, but if I were Andrew's son after the following statement, I would be disowned. I wouldn't disown you if you, you have wrong opinion. <laughs> don't, don't, don't feel well, bad. I'm, I'm still going to say I'm not choosing Eric Banner over Mark Ruffalo. I'm just saying Eric Banner played Bruce Banner. No, he didn't. Mark Ruffalo didn't. No, he didn't. 
You're right, Mark Ruffalo didn't. Well, Mark Ruffalo played Bruce Banner. No, we didn't. We're not getting into this argument again. They basically consisted of me saying, you're wrong. And you go, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not. It's not great listening entertainment. Should we just move on from that? Yeah, right. Okay. Oh, dear. Ken's email continues. I'm not really a fan of Perez, Jurgens, or Grummet. Well, we're going to have to move on from that email, eh? I'm only kidding. I'm sorry, but they aren't my cup of tea. I like Perez in his heyday, but I can't get behind Jurgens or Grummet, especially the recent stuff. They have a lot of cheekbones in their work, which just looks really strange to me. But then again, I love Kirby and Ditko, so I guess everyone has different tastes in art. Yeah, but- you will go a long way to find a bigger appreciator of Ditko than me. Okay. I love me some Ditko. Yeah, but Dan Jurgens, he is a bit... I like Dan Jurgens. I think he was a great Superman artist. Hmm. Go on, what's your problem with Dan Jurgens? I don't have... It's... It's just not your bag, man. Yeah. See, I think he's a great artist. And Kenneth's right, those cheekbones, man. Yeah. Maybe he just likes throwing people with chiseled cheekbones. Yeah. Yeah, around with that. I also really disagree with the point one reboot with DC. I think that the planned burning of DC would have gone through if that were the case. I feel like the continuity wasn't well developed, but people would see the from the start thing being an event and wouldn't last. There'd been so many things built up, but I feel like the first five issues covering the first five years would have been a better option. Or going the Superman action comics routes and having one book in the past and one book in the present. Not anymore. Yeah, that's all. Action comics is As of in the Morrison present. finishing off, that's present day, isn't it? Um... I thought we said that, so we don't disagree with you. I thought we said it would have been much better. My argument was I don't mind the five-year thing, but they shouldn't have had any other Robins. Yeah. They should have got rid of every other Robin except Dick Grayson. Or if they were going to keep the Robin, don't have the five-year thing. Yeah, or, or, to do the reboot, you have to do something. So five years, Dick Grayson has just quit being Robin. Yeah. And the Batman and Robin title is stories from across that five-year period where he's training Dick Grayson and Dick Grayson becomes Robin and we get some stories of him as Robin yeah. and then go forward from there. I still think that would be the better option. You, you Grant Morrison, before you say anything, Grant Morrison gets to do his Batman story as a completely well, no, separate line. I was just going to say, and it pains to say this, but the five-year thing and all the Robins would work much better if Morrison wasn't still writing Batman. Yes. If they'd have got rid of Morrison. Or they just let him carry on doing what he's doing in a set. it's not labelled as a new 52 book. Or if he hadn't rushed Flashpoint in the first place. Or if place. he hadn't rushed Flashpoint through in the first place. Yeah. So we don't disagree with that. No. So there you go, we found common ground. Yeah. And for Damien, I have a head retcon for his age. He has a rapid ageing thingy due to him being artificially aged, again in my head, which gives him a way of being baby bat, but no matter what the canon was friggin' adorable, and him being able to meet Bruce and become Dick's Robin and still fit in five years. It works in my head if I don't think about it too much, but then again to me, Mask of the Phantasm is in every continuity. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. Yeah. I don't mind Mask of the Phantasm being in every continuity. I just reread Batman and Son, and um, after reading Batman Zero, hmm. it retcons the entire thing. That's what I mean. It Grant get, Morrison's stuff should not be part of the new 52. Yeah. Irrespective of whether you like Grant Morrison or not, Mm-hmm. His Batman story should have existed on its own. This is Especially his story. If got a final crisis yeah. as well. This is his story that he wants to tell, and DC should have just let him tell it. Yeah. And then just not labelled it as a new Fifty Two. Maybe even carried on with the original numbering with that book, and just let it carry on on its own and yeah. see how it did stand or fall on its own merits instead of trying to shoe on it into the new 52 were clearly yeah. that was not the premise of Morrison's Batman his whole premise was everything happened yeah. and then suddenly you're at a relaunch where none of that happened and he's trying to shoe on his story into this none of that happened everything has to happen yeah and in fact um, you know Batwing yes he was going to die 
in the Leviathan Strikes and did die in the Leviathan Strikes, but that came out three months into the New 52 and it's own one-off title. So because of, um, you know, so he wanted Batwing to die, but Batwing had his own series. In the New 52. So what they did in the first issue of the Volume 2 of Batman Incorporated, all the dead people from the first season of Batman Incorporated came back and we're all just like, oh, so it didn't happen then? No, no, let's just move on. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. See, I think more than anything they've screwed Grant Morrison's Batman story up. And this is somebody who's not a huge fan of him. Mm. As you know, I like some stuff, I don't like others. But I think they've really screwed him over with the new 52. Do you think this is why he's turning his back on DC? Because everything has to happen for it to work. I'm reading the early stuff now, and there's loads of it that is important later on. Mm. That doesn't work in the new 52. Yeah. Well done, Dan DiDio. Should I put Michael in there? This is Dan DiDio. It's a five-year timeline. (laughs) He does it much better than I do. Uh, But seriously, continues Kenneth, Baby Bat was the most adorable thing ever. As much time as I spent on the internet, I never came across the term pearl necklace. And research was awkward. Well, I would imagine that it was. Yeah. And that is definitely not a thing here. I didn't notice it, and now I'm ruined. Ruined! I apologise if this email is negative. Merry Hanukkah Christmas. Kenneth Laster by one. It wasn't negative. We found places to agree. Yeah. Which is what I think is great about comics. You like comics. I like comics. Let's it's like all comics. good. Let's like comics together. Irrespective of which comics you like or don't like. Uh, our final email for today is from Keith. Chris Keith. Hello, Chris. Nice to see you again. Hear from you again. You know what I mean. <laughs> um, Mighty Leylands. I like the sound of that. It sounds like um, a football team, doesn't it? Yeah. Or a film. The Mighty Johnsons. Isn't that a TV show on Sci-Fi Channel? Don't know. I'd be, I'd, I'd be a crap player if this was a football team. Yeah. Uh, this is simply called Prodigal. It came on Christmas Eve two days ago. Hmm? Mighty Leylands, three days ago. Yeah. Keep me on the curtain. Yes. <laughs> Mighty Leylands. Hello, Chris. Prodigal, gents, Prodigal. I've been waiting on writing to find that burst or spark of inspiration from this story. Those contentious points from the story that either rub me the wrong way or cause me to pause. My delay is magnified by the realisation that I just cannot find anything that I don't like about this story. I'm extremely biased, as I am a huge Nightwing fan, me as well, and this era of Batman was and is one of my favourites. So I am presented with two problems. One... Like Andy's mentioned before, it's hard to talk about a story that you like. The easy ones are those books that you hate because you can rip them to pieces. Those that you love, well, you just have a brief remembrance and you're done. It's not to say that this is a perfect book, and I would argue that I like Scott Snyder's detective run as a better interpretation of Dick Grayson as Batman. We've not read the, the yeah. Scott Snyder detective stuff he did yeah, before Batman. Bad Yeah. Really? Yeah. Right, okay. He's not my bad man. Stephen Lacey, hi Stephen, says it's really good. Yeah. And I trust Stephen's opinion, for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> so I will have to give that a read. And it does seem to drag for a bit, continues Keith, but I don't care. I loved it. I'd waited and waited for Dick Grace to take over as Batman, and this story was finally his time in the spotlight. I used to reread this story at least once a year, and I may have to get back to this area in my reading. I'm currently rereading Nightwing. Chuck, Chuck Dixon goodness, so good, and I can't get enough. We have got all of the trade paperbacks of Chuck Dixon's run on Nightwing, haven't we? All of them? Yes, they only did seven... Thought we were missing some. No, no, we've got all seven of them, and we've got Nightwing Year One. They never finished off his running trade paperback. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I don't like the Greg Land ones as much as the Scott McDaniel ones. Yeah. So I don't think I've ever been really that bothered. But I, lo- I love Dixon's run on Nightwing. 
Uh, I may have to break down, continues Chris, and finally read Robin as well, as I've heard extremely good things about it. But I only picked it up here and there in the 90s. Problem number two. Any phrasing must be carefully written when discussing one's admiration for Richard Grayson. I cannot say I like Dick, or I love Dick, or Dick is my favourite, when referring to a character named Dick. Yes, I have suddenly regressed to the fifth grade. <laughs> but come on, if you heard someone say any of those out loud, you would laugh yourself silly. As, as I've just proven. <laughs> I look forward to this year's Christmas episode, and I hope your family and friends have an excellent Christmas and New Year. Take care, and thank you for putting out such an excellent program. Merry Christmas, Chris Keith. P.S. The Bon Jovi singer was absolutely hysterical, and I'm fairly certain the people who drove by as I was running must have thought that I was an escaped mental patient from laughing out loud. <laughs> thank you very much for that. We enjoyed the Bon Jovi stuff. We show. did. We enjoyed that immensely. Shut through the heart, and you're too late. Did he ever do a... Do you know what I listen to on Christmas Eve? Oh, I know. You listen to a Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve, Eve uh, I write a story every year for the kids. This is for the audience. You know this, yeah. obviously. As you know, yes. I will preface that with and then tell, give exposition like they're doing badly written stories. Uh, and this year... This was the fifth year that I've written a Christmas story to read to the children on Christmas Eve. And while I was writing it this year, I listened for the first time to the Star Wars Christmas album. Yeah. It was the awesome... You don't agree, do you? I don't. Why do you get a Wookiee when he's already got a comb? <laughs> genius. Absolute genius. So, yes, yeah, so I've listened to podcasts and laughed. Yeah. And it, while running, it's not easy. You mm. can't do it. Anyway, that's it for email. So thank you very much so to all the people. time to Bon Jovi? Bon Jovi is on. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear God, I'm crap. John Bon Jovi... Yeah. is on Star Wars the Christmas album he sings on that album mm-hmm. as a 17 year old boy oddly enough the track that he sings on is not on his greatest hits really mm. I find that very very odd okay mm. anyway we'll be right back after I have plugged Michael Bailey's upcoming celebration of a legend for views from the long box where he's doing the year of Superman because it's the big guy's 75th birthday yeah uh, and we're ripping him off by doing six weeks of Superman or seven weeks of Superman, whatever it is, at some point. So listen to this, uh, get excited by it, and we'll be right back with what we got for Christmas. In the decade of the 1930s, even the great city of Cleveland, Ohio, was not spared of the ravages of the Great Depression. In a time of fear and confusion, a character emerged that would entertain and inspire millions of children and adults alike. He began not as flesh and blood, but as a simple line drawing. His comic book adventures thrilled millions around the world. The magic of radio gave to his name a breathless signature and sound. Then with television came a whole new generation to idolize his exploits. In the 70s, the world believed a man could fly. In the 80s, he was reborn in the comics and the 90s saw his death, rebirth, and marriage. In the 21st century, he returned to the big screen and saw his origin changed and retold on several occasions. Through the decades, he has gone by many names. The Man of Tomorrow, the Last Son of Krypton, the Man of Steel. His strength is incredible. His name is legendary. His battle 
is never ending. Faster than a speedy bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. My name is Michael Bailey. I host an internet radio show called Views from the Longbox. Superman is my favorite character of all time, and in 2013, he is turning 75. Because of this, a large portion of the episodes this year will be about the Man of Steel in a series I'm calling Superman, Superman at 75, the celebration, celebration of a legend. I'm going to mark Superman's birthday in fine style by examining all aspects of the character's history, from the comics, to the movies, to the television series, and beyond, both alone and with the best and brightest of the podcasting world. It may not be every episode, but the bulk of views in 2013 will be all about the Man of Steel. He is the first and greatest superhero of them all, and he deserves no less. Superman at 75, the celebration of a legend. A series within a series, and the biggest birthday card a fan can give his favorite hero, only at Views from the Longbox. Views from the Longbox is a Fortress of Baileytude production. New episodes drop every other Tuesday over at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and for this series, over at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we're back! That's exciting, isn't it? It is. Um, as we've mentioned, this is our annual Let's Look at What Geeky Gifts We Got for Christmas mm-hmm. episode. Mainly because we didn't, we couldn't be bothered doing notes on anything over Christmas, could we? Nope. So, uh, I got a number of books this year from my lovely wife, who is the awesome. I think I've already mentioned that. I think the first thing I got was, I got an annual, an amazing Spider-Man vintage annual. Now... I've bored people many times before with how annuals are a, a tradition in the UK at Christmas. Annuals still sell in the region of 40,000, 50,000 copies at Christmas time. I was reading an article just the other day about annuals and how they're still popular. Yeah. Um, but this year, they, they, I've not got an annual for a long time because, by and large, they did go a bit more kiddified. And you've also got to accept that I was a kid yeah. and they were coming out, so that was perfectly okay. But they were also printing stories that I've got now. So they didn't seem any point getting them. However, this year, Panini published a special vintage annual for The Amazing Spider-Man, celebrating his 50th anniversary edition. Um, the cover is The Amazing Spider-Man. It's glorious hardcover. It's brilliant. It's lovely. It's got three different images of Spider-Man on. Two by John Romita Jr., uh, one by Gil Kane. One of them is from Amazing Spider-Man 100. That, that shot, Spider-Man. No Ditko. No Ditko on the cover. Oddly enough. Sense is made. Um, how many hints did I drop at Mum that I wanted this? A lot. Quite a lot. The back cover has a Ramita Jr. image, uh, Ramita Jr., Ramita Senior image of Spider-Man Swinger, and then Dipco images of Dr. Octopus, the Green Goblin, the Lizard, and the Sandman. They look like they are primarily from those pages that you'd be used to do, you know, introducing the, the adversaries. Yeah. And they would give you biographies of the adversaries. The precursors to who's who. 
For some reason, the background on this is shots of Thor, Wolverine, and the Silver Surfer. I don't quite understand that, but whatever. Um, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous, oversized hardcover that I needed to have because it celebrates Spider-Man's 50th anniversary. There are no stories inside this that I don't have, but I needed to have this annual. The front, the inside cover is the recolouring of Amazing Spider-Man Fantasy 15's cover by Kirby and Ditko, uh, recolored by Dean White, which adorned the cover, I think, of the reprint of Amazing Spider-Man, recolored version of Amazing Fantasy 15 and Amazing Spider-Man 1, which I have. It's lovely in that the book is all distressed to make it look like an old comic book. Uh, it contains an introduction by Stanley, which seems new, but doesn't have any new information in it. Although it has um, a wonderful John Buscema Spider-Man um, with Since 62 in the background, which I would love as a t-shirt. Yeah. Because that would be great. Then uh, a reprint of Amazing Spider-Man Fantasy 15, which again, there's nothing in this I don't have in the omnibus. But this is bigger than the omnibus in terms of page size. So this is probably, yeah, unless this has been published in a treasury edition, this may be the biggest size this has ever been published at. It doesn't look like it's been recolored because Spider-Man's spider on his back is still blue in this story. This looks slightly remastered. As it, yeah, as it was in the original story. And in subsequent reprints, they changed that to red so it fit with the rest of the series. Spider-Man's still got his pupils. And Spider-Man's still got his pupils when he confronts the burglar. Uh, then how Stanley and Steve Ditko create Spider-Man, which is obviously from Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 1. And then there's a republication of Amazing Spider-Man Number 1. Freak, public menace. Well, for some reason, there is um, a NASA launch rocket in the middle of New York. And then versus the Chameleon. So all of Amazing Spider-Man number one is reprinted in here. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man issue six, face-to-face with the Lizard, where for some reason the Lizard is wearing a purple coat on the cover, but a white coat inside. Which, you know, wrong, I don't, I don't mind. Yeah, could, well, you could say that it's, you know... Artistic license. Artistic license, yeah. Which is a 21-page Spider-Man super epic, the first appearance of the Lizard, which I presume is in here because of the Amazing Spider-Man movie Probably. that came out this year, the bad guy of which was the Lizard, mm-hmm. if you haven't seen that film. Then there's a gallery of Spider-Man's most famous foes, where they have the Lizard, and I am right! That shot of the Lizard is the one that's on the back cover. It's always nice to be right. And then there is a reprint of one of my favourite Spider-Man stories ever, which we didn't cover when we did Spider-Man Month, because remember, I, I put that self-imposed law on myself, didn't I? Yeah. There can only be issues of Amazing Spider-Man, not annuals from the regular series, not spectacular. And I did say that if I allowed myself to do annuals, Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 1, which is reprinted here in its entirety, is... Um, is in this book. What's interesting about this, I don't think I mentioned because we didn't cover this in Spider-Man month. When this was first published in England in 1973-ish, there were certain characters in who made cameo appearances in the book, like Doctor Strange there on page four, yeah. who hadn't made their UK debut at this point, so they changed them. They changed Doctor Strange to the thing. Yeah. So when and they change the next panel. So what happens is Flash Thompson leeches to punch leeches, reaches to punch Peter Parker, Peter ducks. Yeah. And he goes right through Doctor Strange Astral Four. In the British print of this for the very first time in 74, that's the thing. And he busts his knuckles on the thing's hide. Right. And they change the dialogue. Yeah. 
So which was which was quite awesome. And they do that throughout the book. Anywhere that there's a guest appearance by somebody who hasn't made a UK debut yet, they changed them. So they changed Giant Man and the Wasp to Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Girl. Yeah. On, and they did that constantly throughout the, the, the thing. But Amazing Spider-Man Annual 1 is great. Uh, I do notice that in this, they've not fixed the gaff. The, when this was reprinted in Marvel Tales 50, yeah. showing my Spider-Man trivia here, aren't we? Um, Spider-Man actually says on page 15 in the annual, good thing I grounded myself to be able to take the full effect of it. But the art shows that he didn't ground himself. Yeah. Stan messed up. If he'd grounded himself, he'd be dead. Yeah. In, Amer- in Marvel Tales 50, 150, sorry, where they reprinted this, they changed that dialogue. So it matches the art, and thus Spider-Man isn't dead by page 16 of the story. But this has glorious full-page spreads of Ditko's Spider-Man fighting Kraven and Electro and various other members of the Sinister Six, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. And I'm glad that even though I have every single story in this issue in the Omnibus, I have this reprint which is great uh, it finishes with Peter Parker's favourite heel and heartthrob which is Betty Brant and J. Jonah Jameson the secrets of Spider-Man explaining how he got his powers and how his webbing works and, and all of that gubbins and how much he can lift which puts lie to the statement that Dick Corny ever drew a lean Spider-Man because yeah. he's quite muscular on those panels isn't he how his, uh, his web shooters work his spider sense which is awesome explaining to the more dense readers who were writing in saying, why does Spider-Man lines around his head when his spider sense tingles? As a kid, did that ever confuse you? Not really. And then they've got because another one. Because they always one. knew that when it happened. Yeah, it's, it's spider sense. Yeah. And it's like, do the other characters in the story not see this? No, <laughs> they don't. And then there's another panel where they've got the half Spider-Man face, half Peter Parker face, again, explaining... Yeah, do, do they, is it like, do the characters see him when he's walking around as half Peter, half Spider-Man? No, they don't. And then how his lenses in his mask work and, and all of that stuff. Then there's a Peter Parker's house where you get Stalin would do these cross sections in Fantastic Four of the Baxter Building yeah. and everything. I don't think we ever got something quite as mundane as Peter Parker's house, which is just a house. It's not like he's got a tunnel underneath it like Superboy had to <laughs> his last secret spider. Yeah, game. so he can get out of the house without people seeing him and stuff like that. So uh, Peter Parker's classmates where Flash Thompson's showing off his muscles and everyone's going, oh, Flash! Apart from Liz Allen, who was going, hmm, Peter Parker's sexy. And then there's... And Matt Smith's in it, yes! <laughs> Matt Smith is underneath Flash Thompson's armpit going, God, what a smell. There's a, a gallery of Spider-Man's most favourite foes, the burglar, the Sandman, the vulture, and Dr. Octopus, and then the annual comes to an end. And that is awesome. And I love that annual because not only is it the first annual I've got in years, it is simply fantastic. Do you want to go next, Michael? Yeah, all right then. What I got for Christmas this year is... If I get up. All I got for Christmas is poo. Is... Well, that was very good, that. The 2012 San Diego Comic Con Alex Ross sketchbook. Did you? Signed. Yeah. Signed. By Alex Ross. I was going to say, it wouldn't be signed by Joe Blow. No. That'd be no good, would it? Who got you that, Michael? Some guy. Just some guy. Uh, I do a podcast with him. Yeah, show up every week and do a podcast with <laughs> him. I don't know who he is. I just invited him in one day. So, should we do a podcast? And he went, okay. What's one of them? You got the new beer. 
Talk us through the Alec Ross 2012 San Diego Comic Con sketchbook, yes. which is signed by Alec Ross. Which you bought me. I did. Yes. Uh, uh, on the inside cover is a painting of someone. On the next page is a painting of Batman. It's a pencil. It's a painting. Is that watercolour? No, it's just painting. Oh, it's very good. Yeah. I like it a lot. Um, sketches of the Shadow. Mm. I've seen that one before, wasn't that in Marvels? Probably. There's a double page spread now of of all the Marvel characters. Yeah. Which I think is in Marvels. Just some... uh, Teen Titans. Designs from Rough Justice. Are they all from Rough Justice? Yeah. That's the designs for the Justice series. Right. This page is awesome. Yes, the Star Trek stuff. There's three different penciled images, and then a full page penciled Star Trek one of Kirk, Spock and McCoy. Proper! Kirk, Spock and McCoy, not yes. the, the new pretenders. With the Enterprise. Yeah. The proper Enterprise. The proper Enterprise, not the crappy one that some, looks like it's too back ever. Mm, some more stuff from Rough Justice. Mm, the pencil stuff's better than anything else. Yeah. I like the pencils. But we've established that on the show before. Some Kirby Genesis stuff. Yeah. Um, the Spider. This is Dynamite stuff, Vampirella, Spider. Vampirella, Batman. Batman. Punching out the Joker. Punching the Joker in the face. Some more designs for something. I don't know who any of those characters are. I don't know any of those. Oh, Bionic Man page! Which was originally called the Six Million Dollar Man? Yeah, well, see, the problem when you're updating the Bionic Man, Six Million Dollars probably wouldn't buy very much nowadays. Probably not. I think if you're going to do a Bionic Man movie, just call it the Bionic Man. Or the Six Billion Dollar Man. Yeah. That'd work. Then Grant Morrison's Brainiac. Grant Morrison's Brainiac. Um, a GSA double page spread. Yep. Yeah. Uh, followed by the more detailed pencils of it. Excellent Supergirl. I always like the Supergirl who had the, the neck thing. Yeah. The hot pants. That's, that's the one he does. Is it? Um, some more Kirby Genesis stuff. Um, more Shadow and the Spider. Which might be his mask stuff or covers. Mm. Um, and then some Flash Gordon. Yeah, the Flash Gordon one's brilliant. Yeah. Because that's just a pencil shot of his face, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Very, very good indeed. And the back cover is Superman. I like his Superman. Some people have emailed in saying they don't like his Superman, haven't they? Yeah. I, I'm quite fond of his Superman. I, I like the cover of this. Is it, um, is it a wraparound? Oh, yeah, yeah, so it is. Of Marvel characters. Mm. There you go. And then. it's signed. And it's signed. Yeah, you're you're quite happy with, with that. Put that out. Yes. I should have got it signed to Michael. That would have been... That Can you been get cute. it personalised? I don't know. I didn't look. Um, I got a couple of other things. Um, I'm going to save the three things that I've actually read since Christmas Day till last so I'm going to very I'll very quickly go through the the stuff that I've not read as of yet that Angela got me um, first of all I got the new volume of The Walking Dead you know that you know, just to remind all you people that it's a comic yes book 8 of The Walking Dead which is the hardcover which goes up to issue 96 of the comic series again I have not read that yet so I have nothing to say about it unfortunately still does not have 100 in it it still does not have 100 in it now it goes up to issue 96 so we'll just put that out the way over there oh, I've to read 100 I need to catch up well it'll be in the next hardcover won't it yeah. which should be out not, not next long away. Yeah, next, next Christmas next Christmas so was it Xmas yeah. in future hour. Uh, one of the things that I really did nag about was that uh, Titan Books have republished the Alien illustrated story by Archie Goodwin and Walt Simonson. They published this as a standard trade paperback, well, slightly oversized standard trade paperback, but they also did the artist's edition. The artist's edition was a bit pricey. 
Hmm. So I just house for the looking at it. Is, was it in Waterstone? Uh, no, it's in Forbidden Planet. Oh right, stuff, but it's it's pretty pretty big. Well, those artist editions are. They're doing a John Bermoff, the Fantastic Four. Are you thinking about it? Yeah, I thought long and hard about the John Romita Spider-Man one that they did. Yeah. But it was just it's just a little bit pricey. Uh, so I've got the Illustrated Alien by Archie Goodwin and Al Williamson. Al Williamson. Uh, Walt Simonson. That actually looks really cool. It does look awesome. Some I've good Walt never Simons read it. Yeah. See, Walt Simonson's got a bit off the boil of late, hasn't he? Which is a shame, because he was a classic. Um, Angela listens to the show. <laughs> Oh, I do. I do amuse myself. Not choice. Uh, she's bought with the next boys' trade paperback, which was volume eleven, which was over the hill with the sword of a thousand men, which was a Temple Tudor song. Hoorah, 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 hey! Over the hills with the sword of a thousand men. I'm not being reading poems. Ed Tudor Pole. And because she listens to the show, she bought me the two complete battlefields trade paperbacks by Garth Ennis. With art by Carlos Esquera, Russ Braun, Peter Zhnezberg, and R.J. Holden. Um, I have not read these yet, obviously, but in the back of these, he has some excellent text pieces. I mean, I, I bitched about this to you, didn't I? That the current Marvel and DC trade paperbacks are all very well and good. But they don't have And you're going to hear a complaint about this in a bit. Yeah. That's a tease for you to stay listening. And they don't have any context. In the back of these, Garth Ennis has done a wonderful six or seven page um, afterword. Have you read that? Yes, I've read the afterwords in both of them, where he talks about where the inspiration for the stories came about, and where they are realistic, and where artistic license has been taken yeah. to make it a more interesting story. Has he war stories, or just this? He mentions that he did war stories before in volume one. All he says is, much like the slightly older cousins published as two volumes of war stories by DC Vertigo, Battlefields are the tales of fiction shot through with fact. And that's all he mentions of war stories. Um, it's fascinating reading. Um, particularly, as we've mentioned before, my, my fondness is the wrong word, isn't it? But my appreciation for the people that fought in World War II. There is a final paragraph in this Battlefields Volume 1 hardcover that I just thought was, was glorious that I'm going to read. Okay. Today, any survivors of these battles are at the very least in the mid-80s. The British Tommy of World War II, along with his comrade, the tanker, has all but passed into history. Perhaps he was no elite warrior, yet neither was he a brute nor a fanatic. There are no mass rapes committed against humble civilian populations to stain his record. Unlike his enemies, he did not slaughter defenceless prisoners in their hundreds. As he marches into the Normandy dust beside the clanking Churchills and Shermans, incongruous soup bowl helmet tilted, Lee Enfield slung, webbing pouches crammed with magazines to feed the section Bren, he remains a figure of whom his country can be proud. I just love that last panel. Yeah. That last paragraph. So well done, Garth. I'm looking forward to reading that. Because uh, if you listen to the shows that we did on War Stories, you'll know that we thought they were fantastic. Mm-hmm. And we did, didn't we? Um, I'm going to let you go through all your stuff in a minute. All right. But do you want me to do my bits? Um, and then we can talk about the stuff we've actually read. Yeah, okay. Which, all right. So, very quickly, uh, Angela bought me Star Wars Red Harvest by Joe Schreiber. Very funny. Which was, yes, very, very clever. Which was the sequel to Death Troopers, which was an excellent Star Wars novel. Uh, which basically was it was, an excellent Star Wars novel or was it an excellent it novel? It was an excellent in the novel universe. in the Star Wars universe. Yes, it didn't need to have Han Solo in it. Yeah. It was really good 
and then Han Solo shows up, and he doesn't stop it being really good. It still is really good. He just but it, make it, any better. it didn't need to be Han Solo. It was working as a zombie Star Wars yeah. novel on its own. It didn't need a familiar character in it. But this one doesn't seem like it has any other familiar characters in it. So I'm looking forward Probably to because now he knows the first one was successful. Yeah. Now he knows the first one succeeded. If you have a look at the Dramatis Persona, there is no one in this I recognise from any of the other Star Wars novels that I've read. So I'm looking forward to reading that. That's very exciting. Uh, I got, by your command, the yeah, unofficial... silent voice. By your command. Uh, the unofficial and unauthorised guide to Battlestar Galactica Volume 1, which covers the original series in Galactica 1980. Volume 2, covers the volume two will cover the next, mm. the reimagined Battlestar Galactica. Um, We've mentioned on before, on the show, so we're repeating ourselves quite a lot. Yeah. We've mentioned the show, I think that the Naughties Battlestar Galactica is one of the best science fiction drama series to ever occur on television. But yes. no. Yes, it's bleak. Yes, it's miserable. Yes, it's frequently throat-slittingly depressing. Yeah. It is still a damn fine television show. But when they send the Vipers into space... But when... Um, cool. But when... Yeah, when they do the space opera stuff... Yeah. It's awesome. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, and I think it's a great show. I really do. I also have an incredible soft spot for the original. And Michael Sattler smiling. Now, I know... I've seen some. The original has problems narratively. Particularly, as has been pointed out by many people, including Ronald D. Moore, who went on to reimagine the series. The first half of the pilot episode is bleak and miserable, and the entire human race gets wiped out in a matter of minutes. Yeah. And then the second half, they go to the casino planet and watch the girls with two mouths and six eyes sing it. They give me a headache. It's love, love, love! That one. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't focus because they look blurry, but it like, gives me a headache looking at them. Just watching them. Yeah. Um, but I still have a fondness for it because I still love the Vipers. I still think the Viper design is gorgeous. Mm. I still love the space battle sequences. John Dykstra's special effects, which he did the pilot and the first four episodes, which was a two-parter called Lost Planet of the Gods and a two-parter called The Gun on Ice Planet Zero yeah. are fantastic and whilst it occasionally lacks in story it compensates by having some interesting characters I think the original Galactica had interesting characters particularly Dirk Benedict as Starbuck yeah. Herb Jefferson as Boomer I thought those two were really good yeah. and Benedict would go on to play exactly the same character for five years in the 80s so it was good training ground for him. It also has a fantastic musical score. And this book apparently covers the in-depth, behind-the-scenes creation of the show, which is interesting, to me anyway, because apparently the behind-the-scenes furore over the show was quite quite a lot. Yeah. That makes no sense. But anyway. But apparently it's not the actors in this case. You know normally it's stories of actors be a pain in the ass. Yeah. Apparently in this, the actors were fine. They all got on great. For a lot of them, it was the first time in a big budget major television show, and they were happy to get Speed a chance, yeah, yeah, and to get a steady paycheck. And it's the producers and the network and the studio that were constantly having arguments. Mm. So I'm looking forward to that. It even covers Galactica 1980, which is just crap. The less said there. about Galactica 1980, <laughs> probably the better. But it did contain one really good episode. Yeah, The Return of Starbuck. Was a great. Have you ever seen that one? Nope. You can watch that one independent of Galactica 80. Nobody else from yeah. Galactica 1980 is in that episode apart from Commander Adama. And what it is, it's Starbuck crash lands on a planet and they do enemy mine. 
He crash lands on a planet with two Cylon starships, what they call Cylon Raiders. Yeah. And of the six Cylons, or three Cylons, I forget, that are crashed, he builds one functioning Cylon so that he's got companionship and he reprograms it. and dances. It doesn't sing and dance, no. Oh, is that not the singing and dancing one? No, right. that's not the singing and dancing one. And it's a really good episode, and I yeah. really like that episode, but the others are all crap. So I'm looking forward to digging into that. So I've got an awful lot to read. Um, Catwoman Volume 1 by Darwin Cook and Ed Brubacker. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Again, I've not read it yet, but it publishes Selena's Big Score. The Detective Comics issues that bridge the gap between Selena's Big Score and then the first nine issues of the Catwoman series that Ed Brubacker wrote. If you listened to our New Frontier episodes, you know how much I love Darwin Cook. And I like that this is a Catwoman that knows how to zip her top up. Yeah. Wow. She's not going to be smacked in the face whenever she jumps off a building. Well, it's Darwin Cook. It's classy women. Yes. Yes. And I like the 60s look to that cover. Yeah. Where there's a band of light across her eyes. They do that all the time in Star Trek. Going back to what I said earlier, I have a bit of a complaint. Angela bought me the complete... Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, Green Lantern, Green Arrow run. Mm-hmm. Which is easy to mock. Denny O'Neill Adams. Yeah. Nowadays. Because it is a bit simplistic in a lot of places. But it's groundbreaking comics. My problem with this... There is no forewords or afterwards or context given to the stories. And I think more than anything, this volume would benefit from that. Yeah. Because yeah, to give you a context as the reason of why some of the dialogue is overblown, and why it's a bit heavy-handed in its approach to drug use. This was the first time it was done Mm. by and large, and so it should be given a pass for that. Because a lot of it, a lot of what it covers, isn't really important anymore, really. No, it's not. It's all stuff that has been done and probably done better Mm. since. But Neil Adams' artwork is gorgeous in it, all the way through. and with context, it puts it in its proper perspective in the history of comics. But what annoys me is that there is no reason for that stuff to not be in here. Mm. When DC published this as a two-volume set back in the 80s and 90s, it had four words explaining the context. When they republished it as a six-issue miniseries in the late 1980s, which Adams did new covers for, yeah. which are in this book... Each of those issues have new introductions. Mm. Why not just republish all that stuff and give you the definitive Green Lantern Green Arrow collection? That's irked me. Well, here's why. You see that logo at the bottom right corner? Yeah. New DC logo. New DC logo. New DC. Basically, they've just thrown it together to make some extra money. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's nice to have it all in one place because I do like these comics. But if you're going to rebuy something you already got, you want. Well, I don't have half of them. Yeah. But um, I would have liked the forewords and the afterwards that were in the original mini six issue miniseries reprint and the original trade paperback print to be in this volume to give you a complete collection but I'm looking forward to reading all of that because they're awesome yes what else did you get Michael? what else did I, I got Batman the Black Glove the deluxe edition who got you that Michael? you got me that <laughs> which covers the Grant Morrison's first couple of story arcs which were first Published in Batman 655 to 658, 663 to 669, 672 and 675. What was the missing issues? I have no idea. Resurrection of Rachel Ghoul? Yes. Right. It was. Uh, which covers Batman and Son, <coughs> uh, The Clown at Midnight. I liked The Clown at Midnight. Yes, it was good. Uh, the Three Ghosts of Batman, 
um, the 666 issue, um, the Black Glove, and um, Joe Chilling Hell. And that's all in that one volume. That's it, there's not even any extras in Again, there's no extras in this one, despite being a, a gloriously expensive hardcover. Yeah. There's... Is there no, not even any sketches? Um, there is what... There is the first five... Well, the first five pages of Batman R.I.P. in there, unnecessarily. Right. Um, there's... The variant covers. Well, that's not even... That's just going with the pattern. Well, after the cover, before every issue... Mm. You have your credits page, right? Which is a um, great panel from the book in front of another panel in the book with the credits. So it's just a paste-up job. Yeah, right. Um, another variant cover of Batman Six Five Five by Adam Cuba, which is pretty damn good. Yeah. And then um, the Batman the Black Glove trade paperback cover by J.H. Right. But then, we have an advert for the Justice League collection. <laughs> That's irking you, that is an advert in graphic and novels. Then we have the DC Comics, the New 52 graphic novel release schedule. Which is of no relevance now. Yay! Right. I see what you're saying about that. Yeah. Because there is no relevance to that in yeah. a hardcover. And again, it would have been nice to have some context to that, wouldn't it? Yeah. An introduction explaining that this was Grant Morrison's uber epic. Yeah. It would span however many issues he's going to span and it would tell a complete story. Or if Dan DiDio apologised for butchering it halfway through. Or if Dan DiDio would apologise <laughs> to Michael's five-year timeline. Yeah. I've said, I've started reading this now and there's so much of it that's important <laughs> to the stuff now, but is different. Right. Um, I got Batman R.I.P., the deluxe edition. I hunted everywhere for the hard covers of these. Did you? No, I went to Forbidden Planet, Manchester. Fair enough. <laughs> which covers, um, well, Batman R.I.P., which was in... Does that cover any crossovers or tie-ins, or is it just the main Batman series? It also covers, um, well, it has the couple of pages from DC Universe Zero in it. Right. And, um, then it has the two issues that tied into Final Crisis. Which are also in the Final Crisis Absolute. Yes, right. there's a few sketches in the back of it. Uh, this one you get a, a little bit of um, you know, sketch. You know why that was? No. Because this was released before the New 52. Right. So, you know, back when they put Kerr into their... Uh, well, again, it doesn't have an introduction. No. I like my hardcovers, because you're spending twice as much on a hardcover as you're on a softcover. In a softcover, yeah. Yeah, I would like the hardcovers to have introductions and context. And, like, the greatest stories ever told. Greatest stories Superman, Batman. They did 1950s, they did The Flash, they did Team Up. Yeah. And then in the early 2000s, they did Superman, Batman, The Greatest Stories Ever Told Again. In the ones that they published in the 80s, there are pages upon pages of forwards and afterwards and explaining the choices and giving you context to different eras. The 50s was a rather silly time for Batman. The 70s, he was gritty and an urban hero again and all that stuff. Yeah. None of that's in the new ones. So if you pick up, say you've watched the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Yeah. Irrespective of what you think of them. You've watched Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, you thoroughly enjoyed them. You've gone out and picked up the greatest Batman stories ever told. And in that collection, you've got a Batmite story. Hmm. Would you not be sat there going, what? Well, if I came from the Nolan films, yeah. Yeah. I like Batman. Exactly. But if you, the, the whole point of the greatest of stories, in addition to being greatest of, they were supposed to be in libraries. Yeah. And be available for people who maybe had not read a lot of comics. Because they're a wide selection. Yes. And in the originals, there's that text piece at the beginning explaining that, well, the 40s were gritty and gritty and grimy. Mm. Gritty and grimy. Grimy. Uh, but then it went a little bit silly, perhaps. Mm. Oh, but then it got back to being gritty. And if you don't know anything about comics, 
having a Batmite story is just going to make you go, what the hell is this? Yeah. And without those introductions, I don't think they work as well as graphic novels. Well, one of the reasons for that is because it's all straight to the train now. Yes, there is that as well. Yeah. They just can't be bothered to put the effort in, can no. they? It's, it's a nice cover by Alex Ross on Batman R.I.P. though. Yeah. He, he did all the covers for it. Uh, next is Batman, The Return of Bruce Wayne, the deluxe edition. Like that more. Are you kidding that there's a trend here? There is actually a trend which covers the return of Bruce Wayne after Final Crisis. Mm. Which is pretty good. Have you read that one yet? I've not read it. Because I know you've read the early ones before in the British reprints. Yeah. But you haven't read The um, Return of Bruce Wayne. Well, we had the issues for the first story arc, um, and the, the American ones were stopped midway through uh, a story arc. Sorry about that. It's alright. And then we got Batman... <laughs> we ended up buying him you anywhere. Yeah. We then got Batman R.I.P. in Final Crisis in the British trade paperbacks. Mm. So they happened at the same time. Which is why it's always been weird to read them separately or on their own. Alright. Yes. But now you've got them as a guest doll. Now I have them together, yes. Oh, okay. Do you want to go back to... Uh, I'll go back to the first thing I've read. The next book I got was Marvel Comics The Untold Story by Sean Howe. This is a hardcover proper novel. Uh, published by Harper Press, apparently, which details the untold story of Marvel Comics, unusual enough. Starting in the 1940s, apparently going all the way up to today. I um, am currently up to page 145, and we've gotten into the early 70s at this point, where Jim Sterling and Steve Englehart and Steve Gerber and all that lot have, uh, have started coming in and making Marvel slightly more uh, psychedelic. It's been a fantastic read thus far. Yeah. My interpretation of a lot of this may differ from other people's, mm. as, as is the case with a lot of these things. The point of view from which this book is written, and it's a riveting read, as evidenced by the fact I've read 145 pages in less than a day. Yeah. I'm anticipating finishing this soon. Um, not much play is given to the Lee Kirby Ditko stuff. It's mentioned... Yeah. No sides are picked. You are given, this is what happened as per this author's interpretation of events. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying the truth may still be in the middle somewhere. Ditko leaving Spider-Man, in many ways in this book, reads to me as Stan saying, well, good riddance to you. Yeah. He doesn't seem gutted when Ditko quit Spider-Man. His initial thought is for the bottom line. Because Stan, the thing you get from this is Stan is interested in forwarding himself, forwarding the company, and making the company money. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, I don't see anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, along the way, he created some fantastic comics. Yeah. But he went from nothing to making Marvel most well-known comics company in the world. Yeah. So the lad did his job. But all the Ditko stuff in this... Ditko and Lee weren't talking to each other, apparently from Amazing Spider-Man 18 onwards. Hmm. He would come in with the plot, Ditko would do the... Uh, Stan Lee would do the script, it would see print, and that was it. They didn't yeah. talk to each other at all. And one of the guys in the book actually said, I found it incredibly funny how Stan always knew to be out of the office when Ditko would come and drop the art in. Yeah. So they didn't even see each other for such a long time. Um... Doctor Strange was entirely Dick Coase. Mm-hmm. Stan would script it and, and that was it. And he would leave him alone. It seems to me that Stan was happy to let Dick Coase just do whatever he wanted to do as long as Spider-Man kept selling. Yeah. And it rapidly became the second best-selling book Marvel had after the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. So when he quit, Stan doesn't seem overly bothered. 
Yeah. He just, Spider-Man carries on with John Romita. When Kirby quits, after spending a long time trying to renegotiate his contract and get rights to his characters in some way back, mm. he's devastated. Yeah. And there are people in the office who think Marvel Comics is going to collapse without Jack Kirby. Because one of the things that they do mention in here is every other artist who came in, Kirby would provide layouts for the first book they, they drew. So then afterwards they would be asked to draw it in Kirby's style. Yeah. The only person who got away with that was Ditko. Ditko was just left on his own to be Ditko. Hmm. And it seems like Ditko was given an awful lot of creative control. Yeah. According to this book. There's other things as well where you can see both sides of the argument in both cases. Like Stan is very much for promoting the company and he disavows any knowledge of being, of being aware of Gwen Stacy's impending death. He says, nothing to do with me. I didn't know about it. Hmm. And Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway are saying, we wouldn't have done that if Stan hadn't said we could do it. Yeah. So that's there's interesting interesting collisions of opinion in that there. The main contention I have with this is Stan relates the story of how Marvel Comics came along. And Jack Kirby's take on it is I came in, Stan was crying in the corner and I said, I'm gonna work here and make it better. Paraphrasing. Okay. So essentially Kirby's thing is he came in and said, I'm gonna save Marvel Comics. Yeah. That seems a little bit simplistic to me. A little bit, yeah. There's no way he could possibly have known Fantastic Four would be as successful as it was going to be. Mm. And then he would just roll out creation after creation. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve credit mm -hmm. for his many contributions. But somebody in this book, again, and I forget who's quoted, does say there did come a point where Kirby was basically, I created everything at Marvel, and without me, there'd be nothing. Yeah. And there's a certain truth to that. There without is. him the Fantastic Four would have been very different. Without him, Thor would have been very different. Without him, etc., etc., etc. Which then leads, leans on Ditko. Well, Spider Ditko did Spider-Man. Yeah. But to say he created Marvel is simplistic. Yeah. I think there's, there's a middle... There has to be some kind of middle ground. Yeah. Without Stan... Marvel wouldn't be Marvel. But without Ditko. But without I mean, Lee and uh, Dick, without Kirby uh, and Ditko, yeah. the books wouldn't be as they are and wouldn't be of, as renowned as they are. Because in a lot of cases, it is the art yeah. that people look at and go, holy crap, that's good. Mm. Well, especially if Stan was only doing the scripts afterwards. Yeah. Well, see, there is that thing as well, isn't there? Stan wrote a treatment for the Fantastic Four yeah. that has been found where he lays out who all the characters are. And that is one of those things that you say, well, how, how can Kirby say he created those characters then? Mm. But then Kirby will come along and say, well, they were nothing until I drew them, like Ditko does with Spider-Man. Yeah. So there has to be a comfortable middle ground that didn't need to involve lawyers. That no one's admitting to. Yeah, that no one's admitting to, because then it, it all comes down to money, doesn't it? Yeah. And it does seem that Marvel Comics is frequently owned by people who don't know what the hell they're doing. Yeah. And Stan just plows along regardless. Because there's any number of times in this so far Stan's wanted to quit comics. Yeah. And been pushed back in. So that's Marvel Comics The Untold Story by Sean Howe, which I heartily recommend. Let's put that over there because it's a, an interesting tome. You started reading Super Gods, aren't you? Which yes. is essentially the same. And I started reading Super Gods by Grant Morrison as well. Yeah. I read the first couple of chapters of that. But that's primarily about the characters. He doesn't yeah. really get into the business side of it, does he? He, he does to an extent. Does he? Let's yeah. Like He's covered how um, the Siege will choose to stuff, and he's covered how Batman came along. Yeah, he covers. he's not got a lot of time for Bob Kane. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's an interesting bit of that where 
Kirby's fighting for a different contract because he's seen what Harry t- happened to Jerry Siegel. Yeah. Jerry Siegel in this, in the late 60s, early 70s, he's working at Marvel as a proofreader. Stan's basically give him a job mm. to keep him off the streets. And there's a certain element of Stan can't be the bastard that everyone paints him to be if, if he would he do that. that. Yeah. And he would frequently give jobs to friends who were down on their luck. Yeah. And Kirby's seen what's happened to Siegel, who created Superman, and isn't getting a penny for it, mm. and he doesn't want that to happen to him. So I can understand his point of view. Yeah, It's a good book. I, I heartily recommend that you pick it up if you get the chance, because it's, it's really worth reading. You may want to wait till it's in paperback, because it is quite hefty. But I'm enjoying it. I'm loving every minute of it. Um, my last two for tonight that we saved till last two so we do actually talk about some comics tonight yeah Angela bought me Superman Earth 1 Volume 2 and Batman Earth 1 Volume 1 presumably yeah. I presume that they're going to do another one and Michael's read both of these as well I have and I read both of these last night Christmas night yeah after we watched Doctor Who mm-hmm. I read both of these while Angela caught up with some of her television what did you think of them? Um, coming on to Earth 1 and which one are we doing first Superman or Batman? Um, do you want to cover Earth 1 since it's a volume 2? Yeah, we'll cover Superman Earth 1 volume 2. Because the first right. the first one... What did you think of the first one? I didn't like the first one. At all? Uh, no. Right. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't like Straczynski's new take on Superman. Right. I didn't like the story. I didn't think it suited being an origin story as well. Right. And I really don't like Shane Davis's art. Okay, fair enough. I was ambivalent about the first one. Yeah. I didn't dislike it. And compared to the new 52 Superman... I have retroactively upgraded it. Yeah. Because I'm just not a fan of New 52 Superman, am I? I even, even Grant Morrison's take, it doesn't feel different enough if you're going to do a complete relaunch. Um, I think it's doing a pretty good job because it's returning Superman to Superman. Yeah. Yeah. The but, stuff that I love from the Golden Age. Yeah, it's where he, he will take no crap from anyone. Yeah. And he's quite happy to throw people under a bus. Not literally. Although in some cases, literally. Um, in his quest for what's right he has no time for laws mm. or government or anything he just does what he thinks is right and there's some of that in this which I quite like so Superman Earth 1 was okay what did you think of volume 2? Um, well, volume 2 has both, uh, points for just being a story rather than an origin story yes so we've got the origin story out of the way yeah. this is essentially Superman 2 yeah. to Superman the movie isn't it? Um, but it's still... I'm still not fond of it. I'm not fond of Straczynski's take on Superman or Clark Kent. Right. To an extent. He's more relatable in this. He's more of a person. Mm-hmm. You know? In, instead of other takes on Superman. Yeah. But I'm still not enjoying it as much. Right. And Shane Davis's art is just not my bag, man. Alright, fair enough. I liked this one much more than I liked the first one. Like you said, this one worked much better as a standalone Superman story. Yeah. I always liked the Parasite as a villain. I know there are some people who don't like the Parasite, but I think the Parasite's a great villain for Superman. Because you've got somebody there who essentially, if he touches him, he takes all his powers. Yeah. So Superman's got to figure out a way to take him out without touching him. Now, you know you've got your super breath and, and all that stuff that he could use. But there's always the thing in his in telling of first meetings with Parasite, Superman doesn't know that that's how it's going to go down. Yeah. So Parasite is able to touch him in the first meeting, and therefore he drains some of his powers. And I always like that. I like the Parasite. I think the Parasite's great. I'm not too fond of Lois Lane looking like Jennifer Carpenter. 
in the first volume. That took me right out of the story. Do you know Jennifer Carpenter is? No. She's the actress who plays Dexter's sister right. on Dexter. And in the first issue of this, Shane Davis was so obviously using photo reference of Jennifer Carpenter for Lois Lane yeah. that every time she appeared it took me out of the story. I don't want to see a Lois Lane that looks like Jennifer Carpenter. I want to see a Lois Lane that looks like Lois Lane. Yeah. I'm not saying she wouldn't be a good Lois Lane in any live-action version of Superman. She probably would be. But I don't want to look like that in the comics. He's toned that down a bit in this one. Yeah. She doesn't look as much like Jennifer Carpenter in this, so I was able to buy it. I quite like the costume. The ever-changing costume. Yeah, although I'm not... I'm st- I still don't like all those lines on it. Yeah. It's like he's got two patches on his inner thigh. Mm. What are they for? What does he need them for? Well, another one of my problems with Shane Davis is that is everyone changes every time they're in it. Hmm. So, I liked that, and I liked the Parasite storyline. My problem, my main problem with issue two, with story two, was... One, I did like the, the other country dictator thing, where the guy says to him, um, the guy who has the gun has the power, and then Superman has this entire dream sequence where he just imagines yeah. frying him. Well, that was one thing I liked. <laughs> Which was hysterical. And then how he dealt with it at the end yeah. was incredibly morally ambiguous yeah. for current day Superman. You would totally see 30 Superman doing that. Essentially, he arms the people of the country that this guy is keeping subjugated and lets them take him down. Wonder Woman and New Frontier. Yeah. So essentially what this guy, Superman, does is he gives a gun to his enemies to shoot him. I don't care. Yeah. Which was very cool. (laughs) I thought it was great. What I didn't like about it, it plays beat for beat like Superman 2. Yeah. He loses his powers, he goes to the fortress, he does something that gets his powers back. It is Superman 2, isn't it? I didn't like the whole subplot with his neighbour who turned out to be a stripper. Yeah. Or a, no, she's not a stripper, is she? She's a prostitute. I could have lived with her being a stripper. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people who do stripping to pay for other things, that's fine. Her being a prostitute seems to take it a bit far. Yeah. And I didn't get what the point of that story was. No, me neither. We found, I found out at the end of reading it, and then I'm like, but... Um, okay. Yeah, she spends this entire story coming on to Clark. Yeah. And, you know, it's quite obvious what she wants to do, because she even strips him. Yeah. When he turns up at her apartment with beaten up because he's lost his powers, she takes all these wet clothes off him because he's soaking wet through because it was pouring down. And it's like... I didn't get the point of the story. If you're going to address the issue of sex with Superman... And they do reference Larry Niven's article, don't they, Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex? Yeah. They actually reference that in this issue. If you're going to bring that up, you've got to have a payoff, which this doesn't. Because it was a very whack-in-the-face yeah. reference. It wasn't yeah. even a reference. The, it was just... the implication in this is Jonathan Kent basically says to him, you can't have sex because we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And Superman's like, what? And he misses his opportunity when he's got no powers, which was funny. I'll give him that. That was a funny scene. But to me, if you're going to write a story that asks the question, then you should answer the question. Can he or can't he? Rather than just bring it up and then drop it. If you're going to bring up the question and then do nothing with it, what's the point of bringing it up? Yeah. I think it would have been much better if they had played this neighbour storyline as she's just his neighbour who helps him. And maybe she's got a bit of a crush on him. Yeah. But taking it in the direction of can Superman have sex and then not paying off that question, I didn't I didn't like that. 
Yeah. I don't mind them bringing it up, particularly in an expensive graphic novel. But I want them to answer the question. I don't want them to ask it and do nothing with it. I did like that her boyfriend or her, her paying client, yeah. possibly, was beating her up. And Superman, wherever. Superman dumps him in the middle of somewhere snowy. It could be Alaska, could be Norway, could be Siberia. Which was good. Yeah. I did like that. It was old Superman again. Yes, it was 50s, 40s, 30s, 40s Superman. You're not hitting a woman now. Yeah. But what I liked about this one particularly was he doesn't use his superpowers on him. Mm. He doesn't beat him and he doesn't do nothing. He just dumps him in the middle of somewhere cold wearing nothing but a t-shirt and says, there is a town about 50 miles that way. If you start walking, you'll get there before it goes to below zero at night. Yeah. See ya. It's not my fault if you fall down the cliff. Yeah, it's like the, the, the stolen costume, isn't it? Yeah. You stay here, I'll bring you some food. Oh, you've slept and died? What a shame. So, all told, I liked that better than the first one yes. with caveats. Still not my bad one. I preferred it to New 52 Superman. I prefer the New 52 Superman. Fair enough. It could be my bias towards Morrison. Towards Grant Morrison. But, but you've not liked any of the other stuff. The other Superman stuff, the John no, no. Perez stuff, and all that. So the way the action comics is everything is Superman origin. It's Superman being Superman, and it's got the Morrison twist mm. to it. So I like, I did like it, and I do. I recommend it if you like Superman and you liked the first one. Yeah, but I, I enjoyed reading it while well, I was reading it. If you don't it. like Superman, you want a new take on it? Yes, and I think apart from that caveat with the whole thing with the 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 hooker girlfriend yeah. neighbour. I thought that was a bit misjudged. The final one, to, well, it's not the final one, Michael's got one more thing after this, but Batman Earth 1 by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank, which I read yesterday. What did you think of this? I liked it. Did you? But Go on, caveat. At the same time, I didn't. Why not? The art. You liked it, but you didn't. The art. I have a big problem with the art. What do you not like about Gary Frank? The art, it's... It's just the art. <laughs> What do you not like about Gary Frank's art? The art. Gary Frank, better than he has been for a long time. Yes. But it's his Batman. He's drawing Batman as a real person. And because of that, it looks silly. Yeah, that was my complaint as well. Well done. Yeah, I could completely Batman, agree with you. The entire way through the story, Batman looks ridiculously silly. Yes. Which, you know, took me out of the story. Apart from that, everything's great. The yeah. art's great. The story, the little bits, the whole Commissioner Gordon being a bent cop and Harvey Bullock I didn't like Harvey Bullock at first but grew on me further the in. Harvey Bullock story art grew on me it yeah. seems very much to me that this follows the new 52 template that we can't have anyone over 40 yeah. we can't have anyone who's fat and we can't have anyone who looks anything remotely but, uh, like a normal person I liked how at the end of that he's turned into normal Harvey Bullock yes it's, so his story art Yes. is good. I would agree entirely about the depiction of Batman in this book up until the last three or four pages. He looks like Batman at the end. Mm. You could argue that's the point. For the first three quarters of this book, he's not Batman yet. Mm. And so you can argue that. My big problem with the art, and they've made a big deal out of this, so I'm going to point it out. Yeah. You can see his eyes. Yes. Now, for me, that works in live action but not in a comic. Because you're covering half of the actor's face anywhere. Yeah. So to cover his eyes with the, the white eye slits that they have in the comics is taking more away from the actor. So I have no problem in live action. In this, like Michael said, it just looks silly. It looks like 
a guy in a Batman Halloween costume. Mm. It doesn't look like Batman. Which I know is a distinction that's quite hard to wrap your head around. But, to me, Batman should be this urban legend figure of the night. He should be scurry. Nowhere in this story is Batman scurry. No. Like Michael says, throughout this entire issue, Batman ends up looking slightly silly. Mm. Rather than scurry. And nobody's terrified of him. No. In this, anywhere. I mean, the last page does say we need to build a better Batman. Yeah. So the implication is, if they do a sequel to this, and on the very last page we do actually get a shot of him that looks like Batman, we need to build a legend. Um, do you know what it reminded me of? What? Without actually being the same. It reminded me of the 1989 Batman movie. Yeah. In that it felt like, and this doesn't apply to Jeff Johns, but it felt like an independent film company had bought the rights to Batman. Mm-hmm. They had then hired a writer and they had given him some Batman source material. Like they'd given him the origin of Batman from 1940 where he tracks down Joe Chill. Yeah. They may have given him Batman Year One. They may have given him His Honor the Penguin from the Batman 60s TV show. Because, let's be honest again, that is a plot thread in this book. Yeah. You know when they created that 60s TV show episode, His Honor the Penguin, where the penguin runs for Murr? Yeah. Do you really think they thought it would have the legs that it's had? Probably not. I wouldn't have thought so. So that's a plot thread. And the villain dies at the end after finding out who Batman is. Yeah. Which is exactly the same as the Tim Burton movie. The one thing that really stuck in my craw about this, although I agree entirely with what you say about the art, I agree entirely with what you say about Batman, my argument is he's not Batman in this story. My big problem with this is, once again, Jeff Johns marvelising a DC character. God, I wanted to slap Bruce Silly yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Batman is a tragic story. Yeah. Without any embellishments. Mm-hmm. Bruce doesn't have to be a whiny brat of a child. In fact, it works better if he isn't. It works better if you like Bruce before his parents are taken away from him. Mm. In this, Bruce is a brat. Yeah. Before his parents are killed. Secondly, although the parents are the subject of a random mugging that goes wrong, Mm -hmm. which is the premise of Batman. Later on in the book, it establishes that the Penguin had arranged for them to be killed here anyway. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So that's like Jeff Johns having his cake and eating it. It's, yes, it was designed to be a mob hit by the Murr, but they got killed before that could happen by a random mugging. Yeah. That takes away from the origin. Secondly, in introducing a Marvel element to the origin... Bruce is responsible for his parents' deaths. Yeah. Bruce runs out of the cinema through the fire exit. Saying, I want to see Saying, I want to see the film tonight. We're going to go to the other cinema and see it. Yeah. It's all about me. Mm. Uh, And by running into the alleyway, he bumps into the guy who will mug his parents. Yeah, but at this point, he's just a guy looking for... At this guy, he's just a guy cutting through the alleyway. Yeah. There is no implication anywhere that this guy's going to commit a mug in here. Bruce runs into him. The mugger says, watch where you're going, kid. And Bruce says, I don't have to do anything you say. My parents are the richest people in Gotham. And at that point, the mugger goes, you're the Wayne kid. And then he points the gun at Bruce and says he wants money. And obviously Thomas Wayne tackles him and his parents are killed. That's all on Bruce. Yeah. If Bruce hadn't gone out of the fire exit, this wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. 
granted they would have been killed by the penguins men anyway it what Bruce so it doesn't matter but essentially what they've done here is make Bruce Wayne responsible for the death of his parents well, they could have escaped anyway exactly yeah. the hit may have gone wrong but I don't know any number of reasons that it could have worked out but they've added that extra level of pathos yeah. Marvel style to an origin story that doesn't need an extra level of pathos hmm. I did like Alfred though um, to an extent, I did too. I liked that Alfred in this was an ex-SAS soldier. He's an interesting new character, but it's what he does at the end. Yeah. Which took me out of it. What? Were he... Yes! Yes. Sorry, spoilers. Yeah. I'll mention that in the write-up for spoilers for Batman. I may bleep it. Yeah. Yes, that, that... Yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, so that one gets... Hmm... I don't know. I think it's better than the Superman. Both Did you? Of them. You thought that was better than both the Superman volumes? Yeah. Again, I enjoyed reading it with those little caveats. It, it didn't suck. I mm. thoroughly enjoyed it, and I appreciate that it was bought for me. Yeah. And so finally, because this episode's gone on much longer than we thought it would, we're at 90 minutes, all right? 95 minutes. Uh, the last present Michael got this Christmas, although he well, is this expecting Christmas. this Christmas, he is expecting the absolute Batman and Robin. Yes. But he was expecting that for his birthday and it got delayed. Oh, that was Christmas. I thought it was originally supposed to be out for your birthday. The Invisibles would have been out for my birthday. Which, which it was, because I got it, yeah? Yes. Uh, and then in the two months after that, and before Christmas, Absolute Final Crisis. Should have come out for Christmas. And Absolute Batman and Robin has been shifted to February. Yes. So although I bought it for him, mm-hmm. it hasn't actually arrived yet. So, taking it out of my slipcase. I bought him another Absolute. Absolute. Final Crisis, which on the outside cover, it's the J.G. Jones cover of uh, Dark Side on both sides. Yes. Which is strange for an absolute, because they're usually both a different cover or two halves of a cover. So, yeah, I'm not so fond of the slipcase. Nice, though. Yeah. Uh, the front cover of the actual book. Is um, that not the same cover as the trade paperback? Yes, of right. Superman holding dead Batman on the back. <laughs> Skeleton back. Is the variant cover of Batman chained up which follows the same theme as the variant covers where it's a slip down the middle mm. and there's the two other sides um, inside the dust jacket well there's little bits though you get dark side again but uh, this this covers Final Crisis um, 1 to 7 Justice no, DC Universe issue 0 uh, the two Batman issues that tied into it, which uh, have never been collected with Final Crisis before. Right. So you've got them twice this Christmas, then? Yes. Uh, Superman Beyond, issue one and two, in 3D. Um, and some bonus features at the back. But the big selling point of this... The big selling point of this not only is um, the two Batman issues included, but uh, in issue seven that I've found so far... Hmm. Uh, there are new story pages that expand on uh, previous pages and, te- and have new content in them. Yeah, they've not just slipped in new pages into the story, have they? No. They've redrawn certain pages and expanded upon them. Yes, and reworked some bits. As um... Yeah, there is an element of this yeah. that if you remember when we did our coverage of Final One Crisis, of your was it was I had a huge problem with it in the storytelling of it. Yeah, well, one, one of your problems was that when everyone beats Darkseid, um, 
near the end, <clears throat> Dark, um, Darkseid just sits there going, nah. Yeah. But here they've added in another... They've added some extra dialogue. ...saying Darkseid. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll get the paperback so we can compare. Yeah, we bought the trade paperback when it first came out. Yes. Oh, and back on what you're saying, the introduction to the Absolute version mm-hmm. is the same introduction to the, to the trade paperback. Yeah. Fair enough. So, we go to issue seven. See what we're up to. And the first bit is after Darkseid's been taken down and the Flash have killed Darkseid. Are all the additional pages in the last issue? From what I'm guessing, yeah, they're all by Doug Man. Right. So I'm assuming they're all in the last issue or there's some in Superman Beyond. Um, what happens here is Lex Luthor decides to fight Darkseid. Mm. So there's two pages there of Lex Luthor fighting them before we go back to the actual Which issue. weren't in the original trade paperback. Yeah. These next couple of pages are the same. Um, Superman gets his machine ready to sing his song. And then... <laughs> to sing his song? Yeah. <laughs> like in this, Spongebob, as Tom pointed out. <laughs> the page where Mandrax shows up with all, has been recoloured. Right. So it's darker. And then um, that's been recoloured as well. Yeah. So we have all the people showing up. And then these next, this next scene is expanded on. The original two pages, uh, Nick Zawotin and everyone else shows up and they just kill Mandrak in two pages. Right. In the absolute... But in the absolute, it's expanded to about six or so pages. Where they've redrawn certain panels as well. They've, they've not re-drawn. just inserted yeah. new pages. And it's, they've, they've added in um, new bits. Like, they've made it more... They've made the storytelling clearer. Yes, like, they, they point out... Which but, kind of vindicates what I was saying in our Final Crisis show. Yeah. That some of the storytelling was muddy. It's not me as a reader that's not understanding this stuff. Mm. It's the storytelling isn't right. Yes. And they fixed it for the Absolute Edition. Yes. Um, like Grant Morris said, this is the definitive collection. But here we have an expanded scene making it more obvious who Mandrak is. Yeah. Showing his relationship with Nick Zawotum. There's the big uh, zombie fight with Captain Carrot we've all been waiting for since we found out about it. Yeah. Captain um, K-Rod. Yeah. yeah. Which culminates in the same panel at the end of issue zero, but reworked. So yeah. It's a big, more expanded fight scene. Um, before, I'm pretty sure that returns it to normal, then. Yeah. The other problem I had was in the Superman 3D one, remember? Yeah. With the kiss, where I yes. said it wasn't at all clear... In the original, in the trade paper, about what the hell had happened. Yeah. And you had to keep going back and rereading it and going, all oh, right, he pulls a Superman 2 here. Mm. In the absolute, they've recolored that panel to make it quite clear that Superman is doing something when he kisses Lois at the end yeah. of the story. There's something glowing in me. Yeah. So once again, I'm kind of vindicated on the stuff, the criticisms I had of it when we did it on the show. Mm. That if they felt the need to go back and fix and clarify some of the story points, then obviously it wasn't right the first time round. Yes. So I'm But now it is all though? Yeah, so, so you're, you're happy with yes. it then, aren't you? So the best way to read Final Crisis is the absolute. If you can afford to buy it. If you can, it's expensive, but it's, very I, expensive. It's, it's worth it if you want to read Final Crisis. Yeah. Okie dokie, that about wraps it up. I got a Doctor Who t-shirt with Tom Baker's costume on it they've done costumes they've done t-shirts of different costumes 
for the different doctors, for the nine different, eleven different doctors. And I got a Tom Beck one. And I got a couple of Doctor Who DVDs, The Ledger Hive and Robot, off other people. So that was lovely. And that was our Christmas, what we got geeky-wise. Yes. We hope you enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. This, in addition to being our anniversary episode, is also the last new episode that will air on Podomatic. So from now on, we're going to be part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Hey, kids, come on. Bugger off, kid. I'm talking here. Hey, folks, it's your old pal Murray Clawhammer here. And boy, do I have some good news for you. The Hey Kids Comics Podcast is moving. As of January 1st, you can find your Hey Kids Comics Podcast on the Two True Freaks feed. That's at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Libsyn spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. I love this show. It's like drinking Earl Grey tea next to the Thames River and having scones instead of sitting in my mom's basement and drinking Dr. Pepper and, and eating Little Debbie snack cakes. Anywho, thanks to some sketchily acquired photographs, Two True Freaks and Demanza Corp anticipate a long and fruitful relationship with Hey Kids Comics. And remember, come New Year's 2013, you can find your Hey Kids Comics at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. L-I-B-S-Y-N! They're British! This offer is void in the event of Mayan prophecy being accurate. So move your browsers over there and listen to some of those shows as well. Mm-hmm. Comics Monthly Monday is always good. Back to the Bins is excellent, and they do the Star Treks and the Star Wars and the Vault of Startling Horror and lots of other things that you should check out. Um, so, next week, we're back to normal with the first show of a new year yep. in which we're covering Avengers vs. X-Men. And then we've got a Hellblazer retrospective where we're going to pick some favourite issues of Hellblazer. Mm-hmm. And then it's Happy Birthday, Superman. For God knows how many weeks. We've actually got planned out in my little ring binder book. We've got planned out right through to through to the end of April, haven't we? <laughs> yep. So we're not we're not shorting on things to cover through to the end of April. Mm-hmm. So we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. We'll see how much of that actually gets done. Yeah. Because if you remember last year, I wrote a list of episodes and shows, and how many really of them, changed. and it completely changed over the course of time. We hope you all had a very good Christmas. We hope you all have a happy New Year. And we'll be back in 2013 with more of the same. Yes. Well, I would have thought. Bye-bye. Goodbye.
Take his comics as a The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do production. And all opinions expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew, and you probably shouldn't take them too seriously. All music and sound clips used in the show are for illustrative and review purposes only, and no infringement is intended. Andrew and Michael make no money from the production of this show, which is a source of much consternation. New episodes drop every Thursday over at twotruefreaks.libson.com which is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. Old episodes of the show are also archived on the Two True Freaks internet radio feed at twotruefreaks.lipson.com. If you wish to communicate with Michael or Andrew or any of the things they have discussed about on the show, you can email them at heykidscomics, all one word, at virginmedia.com. If you wish to view the covers of the comics we've talked about this week, we have a website, www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you are so inclined but don't actually want to drop us an email but just wish to ask us a quick question or say hi, you can Facebook friend us. We're using Hey Kids, all one word, as the first name, and comics as the surname. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Hey Kids Comics.